First Peter chapter two, verses one through three. Hear now the word of the living God. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Now, O Lord, we pray that the word proclaimed might find fertile soil to take root in this day. We pray that the spirit of Christ might be convicting and guiding, healing and restoring, helping and saving souls this day. May we, the sheep of the shepherd, recognize his voice as through feeble preaching he speaks. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the beautiful occasions that we often have in life is the birth of a new child. Or perhaps the bringing in of a young child into a home through adoption. In both cases, perhaps ever so slightly more in the first, one of the things that we recognize is that little babies have a habit. It's as if they have a singular desire. There could be many distractions. There could be many things going on in the room or the house or the city in which they live, but they have a singular desire, it seems. They regularly want to eat. In fact... They regularly want milk. This is a singular focus of a human being. Now, as they grow, there are many things that change. More distractions come into view. More things cause them to wait to eat. But throughout their lives, they are regularly needing food. It's not just babies. It's all of us. We all need to eat particularly infants, they seem to have a singular desire. Our text calls us to a particular desire, doesn't it? You heard just a moment ago the word babes and the word milk. We aren't to think that what Peter is talking about here in chapter 2 of 1 Peter is speaking only to new believers. Because in the context of our passage, just two weeks ago, what did we see? That Christians are those who are newborn. They are newborn. And so it shouldn't surprise us then in the very next passage that it's the food of newborns that is discussed. What is that food? Well, it is the milk of the word. Our passage this morning really has a main verb. Boys and girls, you know what verbs do, right? They Tell us the action of the sentence. What's happening? Well, it has a main verb, but then there's a secondary verb. We get the secondary verb first, though. Notice the text. Therefore, laying aside, that's a good translation because it would kind of be rendered that way. Laying aside. This is a description of what you're doing. Laying aside certain sins, 
Then look at verse 2. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. The main verb is desiring the word. That's the main verb. That's the focus of this passage. Newborn babes in Christ. Those born again. That's all of us. Should desire the pure milk of the word. But there's a secondary description of us. We do so as we're laying aside competing desires. We're laying aside certain desires that a stronger desire may be our regular focus. Perhaps we could summarize verses 1 through 3 of 1 Peter chapter 2 in this way. It could be done in a variety of ways, but here's one sentence. Desire the pure milk of the word while you lay aside various sins so that you may grow in sweet grace. That's what Peter is communicating to his audience, which includes us. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3, essentially could be summarized in this way. Desire the pure milk of the word while you lay aside various sins so that you may grow in sweet grace. Let's pick these verses apart and see how we arrive at such a summary. Beginning in verse 1, what do we see? That word is there for. Why is that there? What is it speaking to? Well, a lot has come before. Is this the entire chapter of chapter 1? Therefore, because of all of chapter 1, lay aside certain things and desire the milk of the word. Well, it could be. But based on verses 23 through 25, a discussion of becoming a newborn, becoming born again, it's likely that what's in view here is verse 23, having been born again. Having been born again, desire the food of the life that you live, the word, the scriptures. That's the context. Peter begins by saying, therefore, because you are born again and you are to desire the pure milk of the word, lay aside. And then notice the list of things that we are to put aside, to lay aside. He describes us as laying aside all malice. You could say all types of malice. All deceit. Boys and girls, the word deceit is another word for lying or not being truthful. Hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. For those of you that love grammar, this is a participle. It's a secondary verb. It's a description of what we're to be doing, laying aside these things. Well, let's look just briefly at these things that we're to lay aside. I would submit to you that they're not just random things. Because again, Peter is going to call these newborns in Christ. He's going to call all believers to desire something. But notice the sins that are listed. Those sins tend to deal with desire. Malice. I'm mean to you and I mistreat you because inwardly there's something that I'm after. Deceit. I'm after something so I can't be honest with you. Hypocrisy. I'm pretending to be something because there's a deep desire in my soul. Envy. I desire what you have. Evil speaking. 
the whispering in halls, the tearing down through gossip. There's a desire when we speak that way of other believers, isn't there? These aren't just random lists. Peter is going to call us to desire something, the true food of the word, and to lay aside substitutes. Let's look briefly at these terms. Malice, tearing down the church in wickedness. That's one definition for malice. Deceit, tearing down the church in lies. Why do I say tearing down the church? Well, notice that the sins not just connect to heart desires. What does the previous passage say? It really says two things. We've been born again, so we have new life. And we're to do what? Love one another. Out of that context, we're told, you've been born again, so here's your food. And love one another, so don't do these things. You see? Hypocrisy. I could say this is tearing down the church in fakeness. Listen to the way the Puritan Matthew Henry speaks about the word hypocrisy when commenting on this text. He says this, quote, The word being plural commends all sorts of hypocrisies. In matters of religion, hypocrisy is counterfeit piety. In civil conversation, hypocrisy is counterfeit friendship, which is much practiced by those who give high compliments, which they do not believe, make promises which they never intend to perform, or pretend friendship when mischief lies in their hearts. End quote. We're to be laying aside malice and deceit, hypocrisy. But then... Peter moves to another word, envy. We gloss over envy in our day, don't we? You could say that it's very much related to the Tenth Commandment of not coveting. But we gloss over envy. It's the bigger sins of our lives. Uh, Don't murder, don't steal, uh, don't uh, be involved in sexual immorality. And we're right to guard against those things. To want to see those things put to death in our lives. But envy is one that we don't often think about. Listen to the ways that brothers of bygone eras have described envy. This is another Puritan, Matthew Poole, in the 1600s. Envy is, quote, grieving, grieving at other men's welfare. End quote. Think about what envy is. You've got something that is good. You've got something in your life that is going well for you. And what do I want to do? I want to throw a funeral. I want to grieve the fact that God has blessed you. Well, let's go back quite a bit further to the 500s. Gregory the Great in the 500s writes this, quote, The envious should be advised that they consider how great is their blindness if they are disappointed by another's progress or are consumed with another's rejoicing. How great is the unhappiness of those who become worse because of the betterment of their neighbors? What is more unfortunate than those who are made even more wicked by the sight of happiness? End quote. He nails it. He absolutely nails it. Have we ever considered how wicked it is in our souls 
to be upset at the sight of happiness in someone else's life. I don't mean they're happy in sinful ways. We're right to say we shouldn't rejoice in their sins. But within the body of Christ, when the living God blesses a brother or a sister or a family with a blessing, and we're envious, think about the fact that as Poole says in the 1600s, we're grieving that they're happy. We're grieving that God has been good. As Gregory the Great says, the sight of happiness makes us sad. These are the kinds of false desires that we should be laying aside. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy. Then the list finishes, at least here, with the phrase evil speaking. Tearing down the church with our words. So before we get to the true desire, the true food, we see competing desires that we are to lay aside. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy. And evil speaking. These things are inconsistent with having been born again. First Peter 1 verse 22, a few verses prior. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. These things, these desires, and they are that. These twisted desires get in the way of a better desire. (laughs) And that's the desire of verse 2. The true desire of the word. Boys and girls, maybe there are times in your life where mom and dad say to you, or grandma and granddad, probably less likely grandma and granddad, they say to you, only just a little bit of candy. (laughs) You're catching the grandparent part, aren't you? Yeah. Only a little bit of sugar. And you may be thinking, why? Because sugar tastes sweet. It is sweet. But it doesn't really nourish us. A little bit of it, it's not bad. But a lot of it causes us not to be hungry for what really will feed us. I don't know about you, but if you've ever spent any time trying to eat a lot of Good foods and a lot less sugar. It's hard to do in the United States of America. If you ever tried to do that, what will develop over time is that you will start to taste foods in ways that you haven't previously recognized. When you start to cut out a lot of the sugar, which is not the point of this sermon, (laughs) you begin to taste foods. There are flavors that you didn't previously recognize or like. They're flavors of things that are good for you. You see, Peter, he's essentially saying, you've got to lay aside desires that are false to who you are and that are going to get in the way of the true desire, the true food. They may seem sweet. They will not feed your soul. What feeds our soul then? Well, verse 2, as newborn babes... Desire the pure milk of the word. Now, we do need to make a note here. Several times in the New Testament, milk and babes are referred to. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2, 
and Hebrews 5, 12 and 13, Paul seems to use milk as a metaphor for basic teaching. This is just for the infants. I know we've dealt with the word babes in 1 Peter, but that's not what Peter's doing. Peter's not saying, hey, some of you are infants and you just need milk. You can't go on, as other New Testament books say, to greater foods. Peter is saying, your whole life long, you've been born again, there's a food for you. You're a newborn, one who is born again. So here, milk is not just basic stuff. Milk is a picture of the word. That's your food. So Peter is not making a distinction between seasoned believers. His distinction is, there's a whole group of people who were dead, and you're not. And Christ Jesus will feed you because you're alive. He'll feed you. What's the food then? Well, he says, notice, the pure milk of the word. The pure milk of the word. A variety of translation choices are made here because it's a challenging Greek word. Some translations, for instance, like the ESV or the NIV, will say spiritual. They they don't actually necessarily reference the scriptures. But they'll say spiritual milk. The New King James Version, the New American Standard Bible, they will add the phrase of the word. If you really want a literal translation, it wouldn't make sense. But it'd be something like this. Desire the pure, wordly milk. Not worldly, but wordly. That's not really good English. That's what's being said here. There is a milk of the word that feeds your soul. In the 1500s, in the first Bible, really in the English language, to have study notes, the Geneva Bible, the commentators wrote this on this very verse, quote, Being newly begotten and born of the new seed of the incorrupt word, drawing and sucking greedily the same word as milk, we should more and more, as it were, grow up in that spiritual life. And isn't that what babies do? They can be distracted. There is a desire. As they begin to drink that milk, they're focused because they're hungry. Peter is saying there is a food which the living God gives you. Now notice there's a a phrase used to describe it. It's not just the milk of the word, but it's the pure milk of the word. It's not to be diluted. It's not to be watered down. Interestingly enough, in verse 2 of chapter 2, we're told to desire the pure milk. And at the end of chapter 1, we're told to love one another with a pure heart. What does it mean then for the word to be pure? Well, the Greek word has the same root as the word in verse 1 for deceit. Here, Peter simply negates it. As newborn babes desire... The no deceit milk of the word. It's literally what Peter is saying. So what are we to desire then? Well, the word of God, but the word of God, number one, untainted. Untainted. This is why theology matters. This is why understanding the word of Christ matters. Hearing it proclaimed aright. Not wanting the word to just tickle our ears. 
But to really come to understand what is it that the living God is communicating to me and to the body of Christ down through the ages. Desiring the pure milk of the word is to be a person who's not content with just a few snacks here and there. But in addition to it not being tainted by false teaching, twisted by false teachers, another way to understand pure milk of the word is that it's not to be diluted. Not to be diluted. I guess another way to say this is that full strength matters. Full strength matters. Brothers and sisters, do you know how grateful I am? As the pastor of this church. That even though sometimes you may think it or I may think it. And say to ourselves. This is, this is really complex. Maybe we just need to bring it down just a little bit. This is heavy doctrine. Maybe we just need to stick to the basics. Even though we may think that or may be tempted to think that sometimes. Do you know how grateful I am? That there is not a regular, if any, discussion. Preacher, it's too deep for me. Preacher, why are we doing this stuff? It's two sermons a week. We've got confessions. You're asking us. Uh, the elders are asking us. Our Sunday school stuff for children. We're talking about doctrine. Our children are memorizing words that I still am memorizing. No one's complaining about that. Do you know what a blessed reality that is? That we sit here in 2023, and to my knowledge, the average person who walks in this room is not saying, could you water it down for me, please? What a blessing. What a blessing that is. We're to desire the undiluted, untainted milk of the word. It's the milk of the soul that is the word. And we ought to beware of substitutes. Now, if we were to survey the pages of Scripture, the chief place for this to occur is in the preaching of the Word. In the preaching of the Word. If you turn over to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, there a different apostle says this, 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, I charge you, therefore, Before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. These are strong words of exhortation for a protege in the ministry. Before I tell you to preach well, I'm going to say to you, your preaching, the call for your preaching needs to be considered as if the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, will be seeing it. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. You ever have a meal that's good for you? It's just not necessarily ready for Broccoli? Brussels sprouts? Someone puts that in front of you and you might be thinking, I'm not, I'm not ready for that. I just, it's not my thing. But it's good for you. 
Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. It's almost a prophetic word from Paul to Timothy. Hey, there's going to come a day when they're not going to want you to give the undiluted word. Brothers and sisters, do we not see that happening all across the West? There are plenty of churches open today in America. And when we find one, when we see one, when we hear of one that is able to proclaim the undiluted word, we ought to praise the living God for that. We ought to say, you know, it's going to take work for me to regularly hear these sermons because I'm going to have to go home and meditate on it. I'm going to have to ask questions. I'm going to have to maybe even listen to the sermon again if it got recorded. I've got to think, what is meant here by this word or that word or this doctrine or that doctrine? It takes work to digest. What a blessing it is that the Lord gives us food. Well, then he says this in verse three, doesn't he? That you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. I don't know if you see the connections that Peter is making. It's it's very wonderful writing. End of chapter one. You've been born again. You have life. Chapter two, verses one and two. So there's food for you. Milk. It's the word. And then how does he describe in verse three? God. God's grace is something that you have tasted. He's using food language, isn't he? You've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Because if you remember, the word at the end of chapter 1 was the means, the outward means by which you were saved. You heard with your ears this milk. I know that's strange. But you heard it. For the first time, you tasted of it, and it became sweet. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, what does he mean, I heard this milk? Well, let me tell you, just about every person in this room, just about, is a Christian. They're professing Christ. It means that at some point in their life, they've come to understand that they are a sinner. Meaning that the God who created them is the God that they're at war with, whether they recognize it or not. They don't obey that God's commands. And the things that God tells them not to do, they do. This has been humanity's problem. It is the source of all of the ills of our day. But God, from the very beginning of the Bible, promised that he was going to send Christ. That Christ was going to come. That he would live a perfect life, never sinning. And that's important. And that Christ would die on a cruel Roman cross. And when he died, this eternal son of God, who at a moment in time put on our humanity, died. You may not have recognized anything special about him, for the Romans were crucifying people all the time. It's just another human being, they thought. But Jesus Christ was crucified, and as he was crucified, there was something that was going on there beyond just a man bleeding on a cross. 
In that moment, the triune God, the eternal God, the God who is pure and pristine and holy, poured out judgment in both body and soul on Christ. And the only innocent one became credited with all the sins of all the people who would ever trust in him down through the ages. And he took that penalty onto himself and he paid the price for sins. And he died. But on the third day, he was raised. He was vindicated. God approved of his righteous life and his atoning death. And the message of the gospel, the milk of the word, is that sinners can be saved. They can come into right relationship with God, not through their works, but through what Christ has done. This is the message of the word. There are, of course, further teachings, but none of them contradict this central teaching. From Genesis to Revelation, the entire Bible, Christ is offered. The gospel is Christ offered. When you hear a preacher preach the word aright, Christ is offered to you. It's not a hollow offer. And if the Holy Spirit of God awakens your soul, you begin to taste that word for the first time and you say, this is sweet. This is sweet milk. God indeed is gracious with my soul. I'm the undeserving one. I've committed all kinds of atrocities. But Christ in love and kindness took on my record and he paid for it. And by faith, he gives me credit for his record, righteous living. And this is the sweet grace of God. So what is Peter saying? Hey, you, you've tasted of this, remember? You've tasted of this word. It's sweet grace. Feast on it. Desire it. Grow up in it. Love when you, heard, when you hear the voice of your shepherd. You ever had a moment where you've eaten at a restaurant? Or you've eaten a meal? Just certain, certain dishes that my bride makes that I love. And all you have to do is say, Hey, three weeks from now we're going to have this dish. And I'm already tasting it. I'm already ready. The taste buds are there. The desire is there. Why is it? Because I've tasted of it before and it is Good. That's what Peter's saying. Hey, you, you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Of course, he's borrowing probably from Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You've already tasted of the sweet milk of gospel grace. So lay aside the other competing desires. The sugary snacks that give you a high. You know, things like deceit. And envy and malice and evil speaking. Shortcuts to get what you think you need. Shortcuts for what you think will fill your belly. And desire. Pure milk. Now, if I said to you, you need to be hungry, you say, well, I can't make myself hungry. 
I can't make myself hungry. How can you command a desire for a certain food? You can grow in hunger when you don't eat for a while. Lay aside all the things that you've been feasting on, all the while destroying others around you. Put them down and desire the sweet milk of the word. So a question for us to consider. Do we desire to regularly taste of the word of Christ? Do we desire to regularly be amongst his people as it is preached? Do we long to sing it? This is another sermon perhaps, but... Think about what happens when you get a group of people who slander and lie to and slay one another with their words. That's the world. What happens when you put sweet grace in their minds and cover their sins with the blood of Christ and awaken their souls by the Holy Spirit? Slowly what happens? Those voices that are bent against one another join together in doing what? Singing the word. Ever thought about that? That people that 10 years ago you might have been slandering and gossiping against and hating with your words are people that you now sing the praises of Christ Jesus to? Do you long for the word? And if not, pray earnestly, Lord, I'm not real hungry right now for the sweet milk of your word. Would you make me hungry? And would you show me what's in my life right now that's filling my spiritual belly so that I'm not hungry for it? Remember, beloved, Peter's telling these Christians to lay aside certain things. He's not saying, well, you're perfect. Lay aside certain things and be hungry. Have desire. This is going to be a perennial problem until Christ returns. We're not naturally always going to be hungry for the food that feeds us the best. So pray, Lord, help me to see what do I need to lay aside? Where's my focus What's what's been on my kitchen table this week spiritually? Help me root that out, Lord, so that I'm actually hungry for the sweet milk of your word. The word through which the sweet voice of my Savior pierced my soul. Saying things to me like this. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Saying things to me like this. You're my child, I will not cast you away. Saying things like this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Saying things like the bruised reed, he will not cut down. Brothers and sisters, lay aside Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking, things that get in the way. Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow. We could summarize these three verses as Peter telling Christians. Desire the pure milk of the word while you lay aside various sins so that you may grow in sweet grace. Let's pray.
living God, help us. We pray for any in this room who have not tasted of the gospel of Christ before. They don't know that salvation is based in what Christ has done. They've entered this place thinking they must work for it or that they don't need it. Help them, Lord. But for the believers in this room, help us to be hungry again, to desire your word, to lay aside the things that are false desires and desires that attack the body. Help us, O Lord. Give us a hunger to sing your word, to hear your word preached, to see your word before our eyes and the sacraments. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.